God is good all the time. So take your Bibles. Turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6. Our text again tonight begins in verse 17 through verse 19. Our topic is managing materialism. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17 through 19. By the way, we're glad you're here tonight. Thank you for coming. The Apostle Paul is writing, but remember, it's God who is speaking. He's inspired by the Spirit of God. Look what Paul says. Charge them that are rich in this world, that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. That they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. You were here last week, we introduced this topic, and we realized that we live in a material world. From our hair to the breakfast we eat, the air that we breathe, the automobiles we drive, the house we live in, the clothes we wear, all of those are material things. But the question is, how are we going to choose to relate to them. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it tonight. We did that last week. But through the centuries, there were basically two views about the material world. One says materialism is evil. Now, the problem is that goes against what God said. In Genesis 1, in verse 31, after God had created everything... The Bible says God saw everything that he made, and behold, it was what? Very good. And my friend, if God says something good, guess what? It's good. So the idea that material things are bad or evil, that is not biblical. But there's another view that's developed through the years, that the material world is the most important thing there is. And because of that... uh, It is certainly the greatest good. So get all you can and can all you get, right? But Jesus had something to say about that in Luke's Gospel, chapter 12 and verse 15. He said unto them, Take heed, beware of covetousness, for a man's life consists not in the abundance of things which he possesses. Let's think about this for a moment. One view says all things material are bad or evil. God says we're good. Another view says material things are the best things in life. Go for the gusto. And God says life doesn't consist of just of material things. So the answer has to be somewhere in the middle. Now, I tell Pam all the time, I tell people, if you don't like my driving, stay off the sidewalk. But when you're driving, you try to keep it between the ditches. 
And the same is true of theology. Both extremes are wrong. That things are evil, or that things are the greatest thing of all. And so the answer has to be somewhere in the middle. Materialism simply defined is the preoccupation with material things rather than intellectual or spiritual things. And if we live in this material world, the key here is to be content with what we have. And materialism is just the opposite of that. We're always striving after something more, something better. Now, we read a moment ago in our text, Paul says, charge them that are rich in this world. And I mentioned last week, this message is for the rich. Don't get up and leave. You are in that group. Because in the Bible, when the Bible speaks of poor people or rich people, the Bible defines poor people as those who lack the basic necessity of life. No food, shelter, uh, clothing. And those who struggled in those areas were considered poor people. But biblically, rich people were those who had the basic needs of life. Food, shelter, and clothing. How many here tonight have food? How many have too much food? <laughs> How many have shelter and clothing? Well, biblically, we are rich. We are rich. Now remember, and I know you all know this, but the world we're trying to tell you, the Bible says that money is evil. Is that what the Bible says? No. So money is not evil. First Timothy 6.10, the Bible says, For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some covered after, they have entered, I'm sorry, erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Now let me stop here for a moment, kind of make a comment here. We're talking about, in verse 17 through 19, those who are rich. Those who have the basic needs of life. But in verse 10 of the same chapter, Paul is speaking to those who are not rich, but they want to be. And the desire to get that way has consumed their lives, and it brought a lot of sorrow to their lives. But tonight our focus is on those who have the basic needs of life. And I hope you know this by now, because in spite of what we might have thought in years gone by, money in the end, cannot satisfy. It cannot satisfy. I don't know that I've ever heard anybody on their deathbed cry out, thank God for my money. Thank God for my money. So our text tonight in First Timothy 6, 17-19 we actually see three specific commands to take a close look at. Now, it begins with our attitude, which is our hearts. And by the way, the heart always comes first. And the money comes later. 
Go back to verse 17, 1 Timothy 6. Paul says, Charge them that are rich in this world, that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. I think there are at least five principles we can take from these verses. Number one, some people will be richer than others. Again, verse 17, charge them that are rich. So we live in a world, some will have more, some will have less. So without a doubt, the Bible is clear, it is not necessarily a sin to be rich. But it is how you made your money and what you do with it once you get it. That's what matters. That's what determines whether or not you're indulging in a sinful lifestyle. So number one, some people will be rich. Some will be extraordinarily wealthy. But second of all, for whatever reason, money has the power to think like we are insulated from the problems of life. Paul said, charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded. How many know the rich can have problems? The rich can uh, suffer with disease. The rich die. And Paul warns, be careful here. Don't be arrogant. Don't be high-minded. And, and, and by the way, we know that in the world we live in, there are rich people who certainly are arrogant, and especially in the way they treat other people. Now, by the way, I don't care where you are on the economic pole, we have to be careful with that. Isn't that true? I've had to repent of that through my life. I'm not, I'm not extremely rich. But every once in a while, I catch myself thinking, I'm better than that person. That's not true. That is not true. And so Paul warns them to be careful how you treat others. And that's the arrogance Paul is warning them against here in our text. And money, the, the dangerous thing about money, it can, it can make us feel set apart. Uh, we think that what happened to others will never happen to us. But that's simply not true. So, yes, some people be, have more money than others. Yes, uh, there's a danger that money can make you feel like you won't have any troubles. But the third thing is, wealth is not certain. I've never seen it physically with my eyes, but sometimes I think money's got wings on it. Now, Paul says in verse 17, not to trust in uncertain riches. How many know it's true? A person can be rich today and broke tomorrow. Yeah. And just when we think you've got it made, you've got all your ducks in a row, all of a sudden your money grows wings and it's gone. So some people will be rich, some will not. Some 
have the idea they're protected because they're wealthy. Wealth is certainly uncertain. But the fourth thing is, we have to put our hope in God. That's it. Verse 17 again. Don't trust uncertain riches, but in the living God. Put our hope in God. What does that mean? I think it, uh, there are a lot of things involved there, but I think the most important thing about that precept is that we make a decision every day, every day of our lives, that we are not going to trust our money to get us through life. We're not going to trust our money. And here's how that looks. Lord, today, I trust you completely with all that I am and with all that I have. I take you at what you promised, at your word, and no matter what happens to me today, I believe, whatever it is, you are working out your plan in my life. And Lord, I trust in you. My trust is in the living God. But the fifth thing I take away from this text in verse 17, Paul says, the one who gives us richly all things to enjoy. So God gives us everything we need at any given moment in life. Now remember, we talked about the two prevailing attitudes toward materialism. One said it's all, you know, evil. But Paul says God gives us richly all things to do what? To enjoy. To enjoy. So the question is, you know, Paul says don't trust in uncertain riches, but trust in the living God who gives you richly everything to enjoy. So I have to ask myself, do I really believe that I have everything I need at this moment in the material realm of my life? Now, notice what I didn't say. I didn't say God will give us everything we want, but he will give us everything we need. If we really believe God, if we trust the word of God, do I really believe that I have everything I need at this moment? And our answer has to be yes. Because as I look at scriptures, if I truly needed anything else, God would have already given it to me. He would have given it to me. Psalm 84, verse 11. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord God will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. So if I come to a point in my life and I think to myself, you know, Lord, I just don't think I have everything I want. 
You know what that means? That means in the eyes of God, it's something I don't really need. Because if I truly needed it, guess what God would do? He'd provide it. He would provide it. Because God does not withhold any good thing from those who walk uprightly, those who are his children. Matthew 7, verse 11. Jesus said, If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father, which is in heaven, give good things to them that ask him? So the question I have to ask myself, do I believe that verse? Do I believe the word of God? That God will not withhold anything good from me. By the way, how many know that's basically what Satan told Eve in the garden? God's holding back. My friend, God does not hold back anything good for his people. And I realize this is a tough subject. And don't tell me you don't wrestle with it. We all do. We all do. We read this verse several weeks ago when we talked about contentment. But Paul wrote this to the church at Philippi, chapter 4, verse 11, Philippians 4, 11. Paul said, not that I speak in regard of want. Look what he says. For I have learned. In whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. Well, that's easy to read. Most of them have almost memorized that verse. Not a very long verse. What a powerful verse. Because this verse reminds me that it is possible for me to be content no matter what my situation in life might be. It is possible to be content. Now, by the way, I'm going to give it to you straight. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you'll never be content. There will always be an emptiness in your life. So not only does this verse teach me that I can be content no matter what my circumstances are, no matter what situation I'm in, but this verse also reminds me that contentment doesn't always come easy in every circumstance. Now think about that. Paul says, I have learned. How many know that learning is a process? I have, uh, when I had my, when my dad and I had our company, our remodeling company, actually, we didn't have it, it had us, but anyway, uh, I did a lot of electrical wiring, and I rewired a lot of room additions, several houses, <coughs> and one particular family who we were acquainted with for many, many years, um, the Campbells, I, I think, Paul, you know who I'm talking about, and I wired both of uh their son's houses. And one of my kids said, how did you learn how to wire? I said, well, I'd do it. I'd call the inspector out. He'd give me a red tag. And he would tell me everything I did wrong. 
Now, you want to learn quick because every time he gives you a red tag, that costs you $30. (laughs) But how many know learning is not free? Now, Paul says, I have learned to be content. So we have to understand we can learn to be content over time as we discover the grace of God in the most unlikely places. Isn't that true? In the most unlikely places. So we have to come to a place in our lives that every moment of every day we can be assured without a doubt That God will give us whatever we need for that moment. I I don't know about you, but I've got to remind myself this over and over again. And uh, I am not going to, I love being a pastor. I love the opportunity to share God's word, to minister to people. Uh, but sometimes it's frustrating. And I, I, I'll catch myself, Lord, what am I going to do now? You know what? God reminds me. You haven't done anything at all yet. I'm the one that makes it possible. And so we've got to trust God with every moment, with every new situation. Because by the way, if God can't fix it, nobody can. Not me, not you, not all of us together. So, so God does give us, I believe, according to his word, everything we really need for any particular moment. Now, tomorrow's not here yet, and Lord willing, well, either way, we'll be either here or there, right? We'll be with the Lord. But I have to believe, if tomorrow does come along in this life, And if I truly need something tomorrow that I don't have today, folks, write it down. Somehow, in some way, if you really need it, at some point, God will see to it that what we need comes our way. Not what you want, but what we need. Now, in our text, uh, Paul mentions... Uh, in our text tonight, uh, being willing to uh, distribute, uh, being willing to communicate. Uh, that word communicate, uh, I don't think it's the same word, but it's similar to the word koinia, it's fellowship. Uh, it means to share. And Paul warns these rich people, don't become you know arrogant, but be willing to communicate what you have and to share. So if you think about this, in almost every topic we've talked about in this series, if we're going to deal with it correctly, we must have good theology. And the same is true with materialism. So in the larger context of what Paul is addressing here in chapter 6 of 1 Timothy, this means that our generosity will depend upon good theology. Think about that one. Now, I'm not into the health and wealth prosperity gospel. It smells like smoke. It's from the pit of hell. 
But I do believe that I, I get to give to get to give. That's biblical, 1 Corinthians 9. God blesses us to bless other people. We must not forget that. And we will be generous to the same degree that we have a proper view of God being involved in our daily life. Think about that. Now, it doesn't mean we don't plan for the future. That's biblical. But it doesn't mean we need to plan for heaven. If we separate God from this life, then we will tend to believe, without God involved in our lives, we need to hoard everything ourselves because we are in charge of everything. But if, on the other hand, we understand that he is Lord of life, and not just life, he's Lord of my life, of all life, he's Lord of even the smallest, minute details of my life, then we are free from that need to trust in our own wealth. We learn to trust in God. That means we can give it away. We can give it away because we know that God will provide Everything we really need when we need it. Now, by the way, we, in our resurrection series, we talked about the church in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, how they shared in everything. They, they sold their goods. And uh, evidently that wasn't God's plan because it, it didn't carry on, but nonetheless, they were willing to communicate. So a proper view of God leads to a generous view of life. Now, by the way, Brother Rick, you know I've never asked you for you just to see the books. I don't look at them. I don't know who ties and who doesn't. I don't want to know. Uh because I'll be honest with you, if you're a member here and you don't tithe, and I, and I found, I'd be disappointed. I would be disappointed. I believe if you're going to be a part of God's work, you need to tithe at minimum. Amen. That's another message for another time. But a proper view of God, it does result in a generous life. And I believe because of that, that's why giving in the broadest sense, ought to be as natural for the Christian as breathing. Jeremy, you mentioned this morning some statistics. And I don't know how old those things were, but that's a fact. You know, the cancel culture wants to cancel Christians. But folks, you cancel Christians in all these uh, heart society, cancer society, they're going to go under. Because most of the giving to those organizations come from Christian people. 
We learn to be generous. Why? Because God is generous. We learn to be good because God is good. And we are created in His image. And now that we're born again, we want to be more and more like Him. So it begins in our heart with our attitude. Second of all, Paul says, well, i got another hour to go yet. Uh, well, I just lost a lot of, a lot of people, didn't I? Paul says, take a look at your actions. Look at verse 18. Let them do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share. Amen. Ready to give, willing to share. So once you've looked in your heart and saw your attitude, you know, what you believe, Paul says, then it's time to consider your actions. Kind of goes with Jeremy's message, put your faith in action, right? And Paul mentions three things. Number one, do good. Number two, be rich in good works. Number three, a generous spirit that gladly shares with other people. And I look at these commands, and they actually go deeper than what we do with our money. It's a, a deeper issue of how we spend our time. And this is something we need to hear in our society, even in our church today. Because the world that we live in, for most people, time has become more important than money. Think about it. We would rather give $100 to a missionary than cross the sidewalk to tell somebody about Jesus. Say amen or oh me. Now don't misunderstand. Give the money to the missionary. Be like Robert Livingston when he was at a banquet one time. They were honoring him. And there were a bunch of hobnobs there and one lady all decked out. She was sitting next to him and she said, Sir, is it true that you are a missionary? He said, ma'am, is it true that you are not? We value our time more than our money. Now, I've told you before, I'm not in, into Facebook. I don't care where you went yesterday. I don't care where you're going tomorrow. I don't care if you're having Cheerios for breakfast or the dog got sick. I mean, come on. Chuck Swindoll said one time, life was just a cut above toothpaste. But with the rise of social media, we're in danger of losing personal contact with a hurting world. And my friend, I want to tell you, we've got a world that's hurting. And I don't know who it was, I heard years ago, said as a pastor, if you'll preach to a hurting world, you'll have somebody who'll listen. But the answer to that is found in this verse. Paul says, be generous, not just with your money, but with how you spend your time. Here's a novel idea. 
Put the cell phone down for a few minutes. Get involved in somebody's life. Go face to face with them. Especially when a crisis comes. And I know if you're like me, we don't like being interrupted. I suppose that's just part of human nature. But I had to ask myself, how would I respond if Jesus wanted to interrupt my life today? What would I say? Would I take the time to talk with him? Lord, I'm busy. Let me put you on hold. Would that be my response? Lord, uh, you know I love you. But call back later. I'm all tied up right now. Matthew 25. Trish, you ever hear of Matthew 25? We were over there a few weeks ago. What a great organization. It's where they come from. Matthew 25, verse 38 through 40. When saw we thee a stranger, and took thee in, or naked and clothed thee? Or when saw we sick, thee sick and, or in prison, and came unto thee? And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of these, least of these, my brethren, you have done it to me. I think we need to think on those words. Jesus said, even a cup of cold water in the name of the disciple means a lot. Check your heart, your attitudes. Make sure you do that. Consider your actions. But number three, enjoy your reward. Verse 19. Laying up in store for themselves a good foundation Against the time to come. That they may lay hold on eternal life. What a promise. What a promise for all of us to embrace. But it has a special reference to those who are rich. I want to tell you something, folks, and I'm not against financial advice. We have one. And every week he calls me and says, your $3 are doing pretty good. Until lately, of course. But anyway, that's another story. But I want to tell you, folks, what we see here is investment advice from Jesus. If we take these words seriously, we are laying up a foundation for the future that's going to last for eternity. Now, I don't need to tell you a foundation is important. And Paul understood that. And my friend... You think we're living in troubled times now. Hold on to your hats. And we better be laying up a foundation. Now that phrase when Paul says lay hold. 
It is really a once-for-all action. When eternal life is assumed in reality, at the end of life, that word eternal life is literally that which is truly life. Let that sink in. On this earth, and we're talking about material riches now, material riches can supply a sumptuous lifestyle, can bring comforts, amenities. But my friend, if that's how you live your life, there'll come a day and you're going to say, you know what, I cheated myself. I have cheated myself. True life is given at the victor at the end of the contest. Eternal life. And to those who have built a good foundation, because they use their treasures in a right way. Now, let me remind you, it's not a sin to have money, but it's a sin for money to have you. And God blesses us that we might be a blessing to others. And whether you realize it or not, when we live a generous life toward others, we are making payments into a heavenly investment account. God sees what's going on. But here's what's interesting. This verse is not just about this distant future. It's about that. But it also promises the life that is truly life. And how many know eternal life began the day you got saved? The day you received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. So true life, this eternal life the Bible speaks about, real life, abundant life, is life that goes beyond just existing. It's life as God intended it to be. Amen. The abundant life. Thank God for that. You know what Paul is saying to us? Paul says, Christians that are generous... As far as I know, everyone here is a Christian. If you're not, you need to be today. But Christians who are generous will discover a quality of life that stingy Christians will never know. And folks, through the years, I've met some stingy Christians. Yeah. Those who dare to become generous They end up enjoying life on a level, a higher level, than those that hoard their wealth will never experience. Folks, I want to tell you something. God has been good to me. I have never had an abundance, but I've never gone without. There's been times I didn't know what we're going to do next. 
We've been through a lot of difficult times, not, but compared to some, not hardly at all. But through it all, we never stop being generous to the Lord's work, ever. Because the happiest people on earth are those who have learned the joy of generous giving. They give, and they give, and they give. They give their time, they give their money, they give their advice, their counsel, their talents, and they give their commitment. You know why? They've decided, I don't want to sit on a bench. I don't want to be a spectator. I want to be involved in the work of God. I want to get into the game. And they really enjoy giving to others. They enjoy it. The fellow's name was Maxie Jarman, J-A-R-M-A-N. I Googled his name the other day. I realize sometimes these are preachers, so this is a true story. Uh, he was a very wealthy Christian businessman. And during his lifetime, he literally gave away millions of dollars for Christian causes all around the world. Not sure what happened, but there was a final setback in his company. And he went through an enormous financial reversal. And he lost everything. A friend asking, he asked Mr. Jarman, said, Do you regret giving away so much money? You know what he said? Not at all. He said, The only money I lost is what I kept. If you want to keep it, you got to give it away. Let's stand together. You see, what we keep, we lose. Because we won't live forever. What we give away, we keep. Because the benefits last throughout eternity. Do you know how much money John D. Rockefeller left when he died? Anybody know? Yeah, all of it. All of it. My friend, what we give to God, we never lose. So by the way, if you're struggling with anything in your life, if your home was becoming your idol, it's weighing you down, get rid of it. Nothing wrong with having a house or Nothing wrong with that. But don't let it have you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And Lord, help us to be generous Christians. Help us to check our heart, our attitude. Help us, God, to be mindful of our activities and our actions. And Lord, help us to be sure we're laying up treasure.
to build a firm foundation that we might lay hold of true life, the life that God has intended for us. I pray, Lord, for all those that are here tonight, draw us near to you, and God, make that we might make you the priority of our life, knowing, God, that your word is true, and you promise to provide everything we truly need. I pray, Lord, that anyone listening tonight, whether here or online without Christ, that today they would consider what it means to leave this world and to die lost eternally. Father, speak to their heart. Remind them you love them so much you died for their sins. Father, we give you the praise and the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen.